Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Happy New Year. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Happy New Year, Jim. Thanks, Kimberly. Did you have a great Christmas time? I did. Such a wonderful celebration. And your young son, Max. Yeah. I'm going to guess he, at his tender young age, is beginning <laughs> to really appreciate the sights, the sounds, uh, all the glitter of Christmas. Yeah, it's so fun. And tell me, did you by chance, I'm just making a wild guess, but mm-hmm. just knowing you and the people who love you, mm-hmm. is it possible that for Christmas you got something new to wear? I did indeed, yes. Maybe maybe something that you were hoping for? Yes, so hoped for that I picked it out myself and circled it and made it made it clear that that was the hoped for conclusion. Okay, and so something <laughs> to wear that you might have projected That's to right. others that care for you that oh I'd really be happy if I got this. That's right. It's delivered to you. Mm-hmm. And now you can wear it in the new year. That's right. It's a fresh new start this new year. Mm -hmm. It's a page upon which no one has written. All of us have a pen in hand. God's given it to us. What will we write? And we're in a series here at Viewpoint called New Clothes, and many of us have new things to wear consequent to the Christmas holiday. And tell me, Kimberly, when when you walk out of your house and you've got those new clothes on that you got for Christmas... What's the difference? Does it make a difference? Yeah, you just, I don't know, feel more confident, more put together, more excited about the day because, you know, there's something fresh. There's something fresh and new. There's new territory, Mm -hmm. uh, new mountains to climb. There's just some kind of confidence, as you said. Mm -hmm. You know, I I got it together. Mm -hmm. You just feel like you've turned a page. And the reason we're even talking about this is we all understand that when it comes to clothing, literally, materially, mm-hmm. but inside of us, we also are clothed. That's right. And many of us are clothed with some pretty ragged stuff, stuff that we've worn for a long time. It doesn't make us feel confident. It always makes us feel maybe self-conscious or maybe even ashamed, wishing that we could dress differently, wishing that we, mm-hmm. that we could be different, and yet still putting on the same old stuff on the clothing of our heart because of things we've done or others have done to us. And we're here today to tell you that as this new year begins, we're in the business also of helping people find new clothes. And we have someone who is willing to dress us fresh and new. That's what we're about today. And we're going to talk about a great story from the Old Testament that talks about somebody who had to take off the old clothing that wasn't taking him anywhere good, and he got some new clothes at the last. Stay with us. Kimberly, as we think about people in the scripture who may have had, well, what shall we say, dramatic failure. Mm -hmm. I mean, where their story is so well known and we all understand when we hear their name, oh, they they had a lot of good going for them, but boy, they really had some mess ups in their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you think about those kinds of characters, Mm -hmm. those are the people that we tend to identify, actually. No, absolutely. Because we all have mess ups in life. We all make mistakes. We may not make the same mistakes, or they may not be as public as Mm -hmm. somebody that we read about in history or in the scripture, but their mistakes just the same. And once we make that mistake and we're aware of it, oh man, it just becomes a burden. Yeah. Because all of us have a conscience. All of us have a sense of right and wrong, and all of us have a sense of self. And there are very few people who ever walk through this world who escape that sense of guilt or shame, Mm. the wishing, if only I hadn't done this or that, if only I could turn back the clock, if I could just put on some new clothes and start fresh without having all that old baggage. Yeah. When we think about people like that, 
Is there anybody in the, in the Old or New Testament that you run to, you think, oh, here's a story about somebody who actually had to get a new outfit? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I was going to say, you know, one of the things I love so much about Scripture, respect so much about Scripture, is that um, we aren't given perfect stories. We're given um, the ragged, banged-up stories of imperfect people. But a lot of times we don't get to see sort of the inside, the inner turmoil uh, that we do with other characters. And so I am attached to David for that reason, right? The huh. lamenting, the inner turmoil that he has, much of that material shows up in the Psalms. Um, but we're, we're given insight into David's pain, not just sort of what happens in the results. And uh, that encourages me. That is support for me, and I think so many others who go through stuff ourselves. And David is... is a character, and when I say a character, I think he's a real person in history Yes, whose real flesh and blood, his struggles with life, mm-hmm. are so upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scripture has captured his life in all of its hues. Mm-hmm. And let's be plain, uh, David is an outstanding character. He's a person who is admired and respected. I mean, he is the stuff of, of Michelangelo's great sculptor. Yes. He is the stuff of song. He is the stuff of real history and human events. But he also had some moments in his life where he was desperately off point, where he injured himself, he injured other people. He wasn't always even aware of how he was hurting others in the moment. But there was something about his heart that drew him sensitively back to the right. But because he was sensitive to the right, it made his sense of wrong all the more profound. And I think his shame and guilt really, really ached inside of him because he understood the dynamics of of the moral order. All this to say, David is somebody who can really teach us about how do we get new clothes? Mm -hmm. Because this is a guy who got some pretty ragged, (laughs) soiled, really dirty clothing to wear for a season, consequent to his own choices. Yeah. And how do you get out from under that? Who could afford to buy new clothes and replace those old things that we have earned and purchased ourselves by our own wrongdoing? Well, David is a great case study. And let's just dive right into it because most yeah. people know the story. In fact, if you if you say a name as if there's another name to partner with it, and I said David and... Bathsheba. Yeah. Right. We never say David and Jonathan, maybe right. sometimes as friends. Sometimes All the good things. <laughs> right. David and the prophet Nathan, well, you might connect those dots, and we will in the story mm-hmm. today, but most people in the popular culture understand David and Bathsheba. Right. Bathsheba, an emblematic name now because of this real person in time who was apparently so voluptuous, so beautiful, so mm-hmm. physically charming, mm-hmm. had some presence or presentation of herself that she becomes the object of David's desire, even though he has... Other uh, people in his house to whom he's married, he many, has many, 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 and he has he has everything at his command. I mean, he's the king of the country, and mm-hmm. he should be wholly happy. Uh, you know, talk about being content with what you have. But no, he has to have one more thing. He has to have this woman, Bathsheba. And now let's make it even more complicated. Yeah, Bathsheba is claimed by someone else. In other in other words, she is already alleged. She is committed to. She is married to another man. Right. So David's thirst for Bathsheba does not just impact his own household, where he's going to betray people. He's going to betray not just Bathsheba, but also another man and his family. It's true. You know, uh, in fact, in the genealogy of Matthew, uh, Bathsheba is named Uriah's wife. 
right? That's that's how she's remembered. Because as an adult woman, that was her first marker in society. Yeah, and and again, I mean, I think this the sin um, recounted of of what happened between the two of them. Jim, you and I have had the blessing of traveling to the Holy Land. David is the big guy for Israel, right? Yes. He is still the hero of all heroes. And so for this story to have made it into the scripture, for this story to be put front and to be remembered says so much to me, I think, about the integrity of these stories and how they come to us. Um, They're telling us the ugly part of their hero and then the story and and the the redemption of it. Uh, But so powerful to me that this is such a big misstep. This is such a big wrongdoing that, um, you know, there's a tendency that that we hide those things. Well, especially especially if you're a person of power. Exactly. And what other precedents are there for great political, Mm -hmm. cultural, or military leaders who have out front in their biographies their missteps and things of which they're ashamed. That's That's certainly not true in the ancient world. David is a standout (laughs) in that way. But when we talk about the misstep, what we have is David going out on his terrace, Mm -hmm. his balcony. Imagine uh, a towering uh, building overlooking the town, and he's out one evening, and he sees down on a rooftop Mm -hmm. uh, this woman who's bathing. It's Mm -hmm. Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. He understands who it is, his flesh, his desire, Mm -hmm. his... His proclivity to take this woman into his own arms just overwhelms his good sense and judgment. He calls her to the palace. They sleep together. And uh, it's a problem, of course, but he, <laughs> thinks, he thinks it's okay because we can cover it up and no one's the, the wiser for it. And then yeah. she is with child, mm-hmm. and now he doesn't know what to do. So her husband's out fighting David's battles, mm-hmm. waving David's flag, risking his life. Mm-hmm. And so he decides to call her husband home, thinking, oh, well, he'll sleep with his wife, and that way everyone will understand. I'll be covered. I'll be covered. Nobody's going to connect the dots. But that guy comes home, and he's so disciplined and so, like, I want to do the right thing. It's not fair for me to have this R&R at home when all my buddies are out risking their lives. I'm not sleeping with my wife and so on. <laughs> One more time, the, the cover story, the, the mm-hmm. alibi fails. Mm-hmm. And so now he has to make sure that Uriah dies, Mm -hmm. because if Uriah lives and she has this baby, Uriah is going to know it's not my child, Mm -hmm. because I haven't been home. Mm -hmm. And so he arranges for Uriah to be moved front and center into the battlefield, so he loses his life. So now what started out as lust became adultery, Mm -hmm. now has moved to murder. I mean, it's such a fantastic train of events, you just think... How could you survive that in your heart if you had any conscience? This is why I tell my students, you don't need HBO. You just need (laughs) to open the scripture and dig in because it's all in there. Lies, treachery. I would say, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You have it all here. It's right there. And we're talking about King David. We're talking about David the king. And before we move on, I know there's so much to deal with here, but I want to make clear, a lot of times Bathsheba is the sort of bad person in this story. And, and I just want to say that really when the king calls you to his house, you don't get to say no, right? You, well, especially women in those days. When you were a woman. Had no standing. Exactly. And you're beckoned by the king. You, you have one of two choices, right? You're, you're dead 
or you or you do the king's bidding. And so we don't want to give the impression that she's doing something awful. She, of course, she was taking a bath on her roof because it was probably very hot, and that's where well, you... Well, and that would be normal. That would be normal the where you would bathe. The mistake was not her bathing. Right. The mistake was David's looking. That's right. And so, again, I mean, we're, we're told this in the Scripture. Again, it, this is all on him, and it's given it to us here just to read and learn from. And he's not going to get any new clothes until he owns that. That's right. And when we come back, let's tell the story about how he finally discovers, I've got to change my clothing here. My heart has to be redressed because this is really bad stuff. We're talking about David and how this great man who had so much going for him, he had success by every measure of this world, and honestly, so much wonder in his mind, his heart, his capacity, his skills and talents. I mean, he was really a standout for many, many good reasons. And yet, perhaps the temptation was greater for him because of all that was at his fingertips. He maybe came to a place where he thought he could get away with things that others couldn't. We don't know for sure, but this we know. He was willing to sacrifice his integrity, his reputation, the kingdom itself. He was willing to betray his conscience and his God in the pursuit of a woman with whom he felt desperately obsessed, even to the point of murdering her husband to cover his tracks. It's an awful tale. What's also striking about David's relationship to Bathsheba and all the events that surrounded it at its beginning is his seeming unawareness. He was kind of numbed to the reality of what he was doing. And let's be honest here. The scripture tells us there's no sin like sexual sin. Hmm. That is a is a passage in the New Testament. It's often debated, what does that exactly mean? But it's my observation in life that people who find themselves entwined in some kind of sexual sin lose the capacity to objectively look at themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a part of what that scripture is saying, that there, there are certain kinds of things that we do, we do wrong, we may be aware of them and we regret them or don't care, but we know that it was wrong. But sexual sin can kind of pull a, a blind down. So where once there was daylight, you just look at the shadows and you're not even aware that you don't see the daylight anymore. I've seen that so often. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that was part of David's journey. Mm-hmm. He, he got so far into it and was so overcome by his own desire that he failed to see what he had become mm-hmm. until <laughs> what we want to share today. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where a man who is trusted by David, who loves David, but also loves God is used as an instrument of heaven to pull the blinds up. David, you've got to see what's going on here. Kimberly, I know you have the text open. Why don't you take us down for the first 12 verses, then I'll finish it up. This is the story of David and his friend and the prophet named Nathan. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, And the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, 
You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I have anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you more, much more. Why then have you despised the word of God and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Ouch. I mean, what we have right there is David confronted with the reality of his own sin, his own wrongdoing. What a moment. I mean, no, no Hollywood script could be crafted with more drama than this. David incensed at a story of uh, someone else condemning them when he himself is the subject of the story. Right. I mean, it's brilliant and it's devastating all at once. Yeah. And then to hear that the consequence of living this way, the outcome of your selfishness, your self-preoccupation at the expense of others is going to cost. Right. There's a terrible consequence to this that's coming it's breathtaking, but it's not the end of the story, <laughs> because as I continue in the same uh, chapter, the word continues. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is so important, because having been confronted, David might have said, you're a dead man. How dare you speak to mm -hmm. me that way? Or I will never talk to you again. I thought you were my friend. Or you know what, Nathan, I've got some things to tell you. You're not just all that either. I saw how you bought that car and sold it broken to someone. I mean, <laughs> we could find fault. There are all kinds of ways we respond to being challenged. That's right. But David here, we see a glimpse of who his true character was as the light is shining into his soul and he sees the awful clothing he's wearing in his soul, on his heart. He owns it. I have sinned against the Lord. No excuse, no rationalization, no, if you'd only been in my place, you don't know what it's like to live with my other wives. I mean, mm -hmm. no explanation mm -hmm. except, you're right. I'm, I'm appalled, that's me. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Ride up. When you confess your sin, when you say, what have I done? I'd own this. And you just have a straightforward ownership. Right then, the door is open to forgiveness. And Nathan walks in and says, you know what? The story's not over, David. It's not all dark. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. This child conceived in this relationship, which was so out of bounds. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. 
He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, Perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. The Lord loved the child and sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded. David and Bathsheba were not married. David prevailed upon Bathsheba to leave her husband's house and come to his own bed, slept with her, and impregnated her, then murdered her husband to cover his tracks. It's an awful tale. The child that they conceived together was born. Then David was confronted by Nathan the prophet of God, who was also his friend and who had given him good counsel on many other occasions. And Nathan challenged David and, and opened his eyes to the reality of his sin. And now David is left with the guilt and the shame. And he's also been told by Nathan that the consequence of his sin was going to have real impacts in this world now, that there would be trouble in his household, his other family members were going to be a handful and would even rise up in violence against him, and that furthermore, this child was going to pass away. And David was heartbroken. And he wanted to make all things right. He, he was willing to fast and to go through any ritual, to deny himself anything, to spare the child's life, to kind of get out from under the reality of what he had done. But nothing David could do could change the course of events. Now, the scripture we've just read, Kimberly, talks a little bit about how God sent this and caused that. And, and I know that there is a providential hand in the circumstances of our lives. But I don't want our listeners to be detoured from the real truths of the story, from wondering, how could God do that? I think what the scripture is just telling us is that in life, we reap as we sow. When we set events in motion, they start to tumble on. Sometimes they can be arrested, and in the mystery of God's heaven, sometimes the course of events is altered in ways that we can't explain for the good. But we also need to know that there is a price to pay for our sin. And the clothing that we put on that is consequent to our own selfishness will often rob us and others. Never underestimate that when you're tempted to sin. Yeah, I think that's so important, Jim, that it costs David profoundly to step out of line in such a terrible way and in so many ways. I think Nathan is such an asset to him. I think uh, Leonard Sweet is the one who talks about everybody needs a Nathan, someone to hold up their bony finger to you and say... <laughs> you did this. It goes back to what you said just a few minutes ago, that David couldn't even see himself what he was doing. And until he sort of is drawn into this other story, that this terrible thing has happened with the man and the lambs, he doesn't know that it's himself. But he knows it's wrong. Then he understands, well, I've, I've done this myself. Um, there's nothing that we do that isn't connected to everybody around us. And so when we when we put our desires on the throne, when we, when we set out in our own course to do um, what we will over and against what God would will, there are always 
dead bodies in the wake, you know, if you will. Always consequences and fallout from those poor choices. And after events play out, David surrenders at the last to the reality, I cannot pay the dues for my sin. I can't purchase new clothes for my soul. All I can do is own my sin and accept the forgiveness of God offered to me. And that's what happens after the child dies. He, he throws his hands up and he stops trying himself to shed his own blood for a sin, mm-hmm. as it were. He, he can't, and none of us can. And wherever you've been in life, whatever 2015 was your story that you regret, or maybe you're carrying into 2016 a suitcase from 2010 or from 1995 or whatever it was back, we want you to know if you have done wrong and you feel soiled, you feel stained like you're wearing old clothes and you just don't know how to get rid of them, just set it down. Admit your fault to God. Say, I did it. I have sinned against God. And then let the word tell you, and you are forgiven in mm-hmm. Jesus' name. Because Jesus is the one who paid for new clothing for you. It's his life, his spotless life, nailed to a cross that has made a way for you to have new clothes. Do you notice in the text this arresting phrase, David got up and he changed his clothes. Mm -hmm. Life began to go on. Mm -hmm. And now new blessings will come. A new child is in play. Solomon, who's going to have a very big impact for the good, even as he wrestles with his own demons later on in life. Solomon is now the future, and God is blessing David again in his repentance, his ownership of his sin, his willingness to accept God's forgiveness. And now David has new clothes on, and he's starting fresh. Folks, wherever you are, Whatever you have done, could it top what David has done? (laughs) We're not asking you to try and outdo him, but we're just saying, no matter how guilty you feel, how deep is your shame, God is bigger than that, and his love for you is greater than that. And in the person of Christ, he has made a way for you to be able to change your clothes too. Life in 2016 can be fresh and new, even as you walk away from whatever it is that has made your clothes ragged before. We want you to just find some new clothes and to feel confident as you step out into this new year. And you can start doing that by praying with us right now. Our Father, we're so thankful that you know us by name. And even when we are unaware of our folly, you know us and you know everything about us and you love us still. We want to thank you for the Nathans of this world who love us so much that they will challenge us. Mm -hmm. And we're thankful for your Holy Spirit that works deep inside of our being to keep us restless when we need to confess and own our sin. We thank you, Lord, also for your promise of forgiveness. And we're thankful, Lord, for your son Jesus who has come into this world to make it possible for us to confess our sin and be forgiven of our sin and to put on new clothes this year. For all of those listening with us today and praying with us today, may we, Lord, be clean, not because we deserve to be, but because your love is so good and because you will pay any price so that we can have new clothes and we can walk before you with purity and with hope and with new life. May that be our story, our wardrobe in this year to come. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Once more, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. I promise you, we're waiting by the phone. We want to hear from you. 
You can visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org. Send us a message, and we'll get right back to you. That's right. CBH, that's Christians Broadcasting Hope, cbhviewpoint.org. Or if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, whether you check us out online, or whether you use the post, use Surface Mail, let us hear from you. Kimberly, Happy New Year. Happy New Year Hey, walk outside of your house with those fancy new duds (laughs) that your family's got for you and enjoy. I will do it. And we thank you all for tuning in to be with us this week. We hope you'll be back again with us next week as we continue our series, New Clothes. Remember, heaven has got some new, very fashionable, amazing things for you to wear. Be encouraged. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Happy New Year.